Hey, everybody. Thank you guys so much for coming out. I know it's like the weirdest little back room of this conference, but thank you for following us back here. So today we're going to talk about the democratization of music tools. You know, music just wants to be free, man, right? Well, honestly, the, the, the advances in technology have allowed basically anyone to become a musician and a wider variety of people to experiment and potentially advance to become professional musicians. And luckily today we're here with two of the entrepreneurs pushing this movement forward. Uh, Mate Gallic of Native Instruments who makes Tractor, um, Machine, uh, Complete, and a bunch of other uh, music software and hardware. And Jonas Norberg of Pacemaker, uh, an app that's trying to bring music to everyone and make anyone into a DJ. Thank you guys for coming out here today. Thank you. Cool. So, uh, Mate, maybe you could, uh, you could tell us a little bit about where, what your company has been up to for the last few years. You guys have been around since 1996, right? Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And they say you can't make money in music. Look at this yeah. guy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we were one of the early startups in, in Berlin, or if maybe the first one. I don't know. Um, we started as a um, software uh, instruments company. Um, but we've moved into a lot of different areas throughout the years, basically trying to uh, create products for producers and DJs. And uh, the last years have been very successful for us. Um, we grew by 500% in the last five years, so it was really a lot of uh, uh, growth. Um, we've seen tremendous success in um, certain areas like the DJ market um, that we uh, democratized um, and also in the beat production market with our product machine um, where we basically integrated the hardware with the software in a way that was not seen before basically to bring the tactility of a real hardware to the power of the software. And um, aside from that, we are uh, we have been working on ways how to uh, take the brand to a wider market um, and basically uh, make the entry into our universe or into messing around with audio, as we call it, um, much easier. And we basically created an app uh, for the iPad, uh, Track the DJ, that one I think was one of the apps of the years by Apple last year and was a, or is a tremendous success for us, where we took the principle of, let's say, the future of DJing into the tablet market and created an app that is uh, speaking the DNA of our company, but basically making the experience of uh, utilizing the touchscreen for a DJ app um, kind of a new uh, level. And that's what we've been working on. So, so you guys are the ones that are making everyone stare into their computer screens and stop being real musicians, right? Well, no, we are actually <laughs> taking the people away from this computer screen again. <laughs> but yeah, this is how we kind of started. Um, it's, how, how do you deal with like, that criticism? I know a lot of people talk about Tractor as sort of like the death of vinyl. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I see opportunities and I see what's missing. I see the potential and I'm not looking back too much. I mean... Without this, you wouldn't really grow and progress into something. So I rather see what's what's in there and what will this bring to uh, to the world. Is there uh, something that will enrich the world? So for me, I come from the vinyl world, but I was very much interested in what ca- I can achieve in the digital domain. How I can be creative, creative in a different way with uh, digital tools. And this is basically what we are doing since the very early days, and we continue to do that. We believe that you can do a lot of new 
new things by embracing new technology. And we are just not afraid of embracing that technology. And obviously, it can disrupt certain markets. It's disrupting everything every day, as we can see it in a lot of different industries. But I just think this is the only way for our world to progress. And I am an optimist, and I believe that it's actually for the good and that the market itself will regulate itself again. So nowadays, we are really about how to utilize the power of software and combine it with other elements that kind of bring the emotional touch to the, to the software and the technology. And this is what we've been working on for the last years. Well, it's easy to preach peace and love when you're not the one making technics. But, uh, but you know, I, I actually watched a, a DJ performance of yours that was on German television like 20 years ago. Uh, I watched it on YouTube this morning. So I, you, you have some street cred, I believe you. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> All right, Jonas, why don't you show us what you got? Like, I, I think not, not quite as many people know about Pacemaker, so I want to I show them and, and give them an example of what you can do with this software. Okay, cool. So... This... Um, this is Pacemaker uh, and was launched in February of this year uh, and um, we're the first DJ app with a Spotify connection and um, our mission is to democratize DJing so we are very happy to offer our users 20 million tracks from directly within the app uh, it's also free which is important if you want it to be accessible to everyone uh, also it's arguably the most user friendly interface um, so I'm going to give you a short, quick demo. So I load the first track here, uh, and this is Spotify. So that's the first track. That's awesome. I'm going to load the second track. I didn't see you track. digging into any like milk crates. For <laughs> so this is directly searching from uh, the entire Spotify catalog. So rocket. <laughs> like I'm at an IMAX theater right You actually have to dance like that to make it work.
So this this is what it's like to be Jonas's roommate. <laughs> you just live with this. DJ Jonas Norberg. Honestly. Does it make sense to discuss this whole vinyl, blah, 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 if you can see these kind of things, you know? I mean, this is the way how you can present something new. The interface is great. Those guys have really done a great, a great job on doing this. And you can, as you can see, you can perform with the music in some ways that you just can't with vinyl. I think it's amazing. I, I grew up DJing on some shitty Gemini belt-driven turntables. So, you know so like, I'm about. pretty much wishing for a time machine at this point. <laughs> uh, very cool. So you guys have both uh, both have amazing ways that wow a, a wider variety of people to make music. But what does that mean for the industry as a whole? Because what I see is when you democratize a tool like that, it it just causes this explosion in the output. And so mm-hmm. suddenly there's all this music, but people have a finite amount of attention. They can't spend their time listening to everything. And so inevitably, what happens, I think, is you get what what we've seen with dubstep. So you know the sounds of dubstep are easy to sort of recreate and copy. And what that's led to is this explosion of, of dubstep uh, available on the internet. And a lot of it sucks. Yeah. Like, like, I, mean, I mean, music in a lot of ways has sucked all the time. It's just now available. <laughs> no, I, and no, you can, I mean, sorry. I know, I disagree, though, because if. No, 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 uh, no, no. How many people have been trying? The problem was a lot of people couldn't afford to buy the equipment and that has changed and because of that now people can do more things and they can put it on the internet but honestly isn't that a great thing that people can start to mess around with audio and that there is no judgment that you, somebody tells hey, you no you, Snapchat are, in you here. are not allowed to do this because your music sucks I mean we don't need to listen to it but I mean that the people can go out there and do something and even throw it out there and kind of become creative I think it's no, great I, I like the idea I think, I'm all for personal expression and I think that that's great everyone deserves to be able to make music it's something that makes you feel good inside and I think it draws us closer to, to what it means to be human uh-huh. but at the same time if you're putting that out there what it causes is everyone thinks that dubstep sucks because it's become so easy to make that maybe 95% of it does suck and before the barrier to entry meant that those people who really weren't going to invest their time in it weren't going to invest in actually becoming you know skilled artists they they were they just were disincentivized from creating that music, and so you didn't have that glut inside the pool of available music. So how is how are the like how are curation tools going to have to adapt to the creation of music that you guys apps are allowing? Can, can, can I just say first that I, I completely agree with with Mate. Uh, it's like uh, the democratization of of music production software and also DJ software. I, I think that's amazing. Like we. Of course, we see much more shit being produced now because it's so many more people doing it and <clears throat> perhaps many more people without talent uh, because the barrier of entry is, is lower. But, you know, once in a while, uh, uh, people really create something that's great. And <clears throat> I, I come from Stockholm, and it's, it's the land of um, <clears throat> Spotify, but also it's the land of um, Pirate Bay. 
Uh, and <clears throat> actually, like piracy was so wide, widely spread in Sweden, so uh, iTunes didn't exist, sort of. Uh, Spotify changed that. We, we, in Sweden, we went from the, the ones paying the least for music uh, per capita, uh, per person, to paying the most. So we pay the most money per person now for music in Sweden. Uh, also, there's like this big phenomena of uh, Swedish house mafia, Avicii, uh, and a ton of other producers, Otto Nose and so forth. And I honestly believe they, um, they are a product yeah. out of okay. the, 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 the music um, piracy, like piracy as a platform. There was so much music floating around in Sweden, like everyone was, was pirating. Now, I, I'm against pirating. Uh, <clears throat> need to be very clear with that. And then they had the, the DJ software tools. So they had like everything's that were in front of them and they were just getting down with it quickly. So uh, I, I honestly believe that you know, democratization and also um, uh, the greater access to music that will propel music to, to new levels. I, I totally agree, but I, I, specifically what I'm wanting to know is are there good enough ways right now for music to rise out of the heap? And you know, where is that happening right now and what could be done to improve that so the democratization of tools actually leads to more distribution of great music? I mean, I think it's more about finding the great music. I think the music is already out there mm -hmm. um, because relatively speaking, there is just more music being made and therefore also more good music while there is a lot of shitty music. Um, and I think we are in a transition phase. So nobody has really nailed that. I mean, um, Spotify has now bought Echoness, so we will see what comes out of that. But uh, just by general, the uh, mass amount of music is still difficult to uh, uh, maintain and to kind of navigate through. Nonetheless, I think we've seen through the globalization, through the internet, etc., amazing ways for people to group and find their niches and grow out of niches and create special interest groups. And I think also from a DJ's perspective or as a toolmaker perspective, I think there is a lot of potential in the DJ or people that are curating and kind of how human crea uh, curation can be mixed together with algorithmic uh, curation and kind of create uh, the best of both worlds by utilizing different, let's say, sources and then finding ways how to, to basically match that to your profile. Yeah, and I, I think there is really, uh, just because it's not there yet, it doesn't mean that we are on a good path. And I think that's really, this is the field where a lot of research and development is going to happen in the next years. So yeah. I, I, I totally agree once again. And I think this algorithmic approach to music selection, uh, which is sort of Pandora and Econest um, and the rest of those lean, lean back services, I think they miss out on the social thing. And um, I guess eight tracks is, is the ones that really have you know, tapped into the social power of music. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think there's, there's still so much more to do. Yeah, I think there's a huge opportunity for someone to go out there and build a combination, something that takes the algorithmic curation of Pandora with the human curation of like a great music blog and the crowdsource curation of something like Dig uh, and applies it to a canvas or a platform for hosting music like SoundCloud and puts it all together so that I could actually have like a personalized relevancy sorted news feed almost of great music that I'm likely to enjoy and then through our collective uh, curation uh, and 
and experience of the, that kind of tool, we could bring more things to the top and find the great music. And it's going to happen. Just look, I mean, these people are not from yesterday. They know that they are sitting on a lot of content right. and that a lot of people are not really finding what they're looking for. So it's going to happen. All right. So somebody go out there and build me the combination of Pandora, Dig, SoundCloud, and uh, yes. And we will integrate <laughs> with that. Cool. Perfect. Um, so we talked a little bit about privacy, or sorry, piracy. Um, you have a, a different perspective on piracy. I know a lot of people thought of it as you know it's the enemy in terms of making money off of music or mm -hmm. allowing uh, or you know creating a tool that really matters. Is you know these are people trying to pick it apart. But you guys have, have seen piracy as something very different for native instruments, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we 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 grew the company with piracy. <laughs> Basically, we were affected Sweet. before before the whole music industry. We were affected by piracy since day one because nobody was really interested to pay for software. Luckily, we found ways uh, to sell our software to some people, and we still do. Um, in the beginning, we had some investments into copy protection, but we kind of left that behind us quite early because it's a pain in the ass, and we really hate to deal with this kind of stuff while we could actually work on something creative. So in a way, we've rather transitioned to thinking of piracy as something Uh, like a loose promotional tool <laughs> that we don't officially support because we believe that eventually if people are serious about the stuff that they want to do with our stuff, that they will pay the one way or the other. And obviously the ways how you can monetize uh, Uh, your products uh, is also changing every day in the apps market. It's a different uh, world than in the in the desktop world. But also, there's new models that we can think about. So for us, we can think of services and whatnot. So we are not concerned about piracy because we've dealt with it in the first place, and we rather uh, look at it with a positive note. That's amazing. If you build something that people love, piracy becomes a promotional tool. Yeah, and I really think I've seen it when people get a personal connection to something, they really even want to pay for it because it makes them feel more connected to it. I mean, I know people that have a large collection of digital music and they have Spotify and whatnot, and those people are going out there and buying collector's vinyl stuff that is super expensive while they have the shit already on their smartphones, but they want to have it. They have a connection to that. And the same way we experience it with our tools that at some point people actually want to buy that thing that they have been using for such a long time. And, and I guess <clears throat> if you speak to Microsoft, wasn't that like how they uh, became the number one operating system with Windows? I think it was piracy a lot. Yeah, I mean... I, I and, and, and Adobe, I think they have sort of a similar... Yeah, I think those are the, that. There's only one other way that I've heard to deal with with piracy that actually works, which is make your make whatever you offer so easy, so convenient that it's easier to to buy it than it is to steal it. I think Sean Parker has discussed that as the you know the crowning achievement of Spotify is making it easier to stream a music a song than than to go out there and download the MP3 or torrent it, and that that works because at the end of the day, the thing that people really value, I think, isn't necessarily material possessions or even digital possessions, it's their time. And I'd rather pay $10 a month and not have to go scrambling around downloading shitty versions of an MP3 if I can just, get it, if I can just go ahead and pay for it. And, and that's like, for, for us, we, we produce an app for Apple iOS. Uh, and, you know, piracy, it's not even on our list. Mm -hmm. It so, doesn't exist. So what you guys do is really fascinating because people don't need to have a giant pirated music collection to be a killer DJ using Pacemaker. Tell me about your integration with Spotify and how this works. Yeah, so it's, uh, 
um, I'd say it's a, it's a great uh, integration, uh, and uh, it's actually quicker to load the track from Spotify than it is from your local, local iTunes library. Um, they have a great uh, streaming music platform, and uh, our engineers work together to develop the APIs for DJing. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a blast. And then your question is perhaps how, how did we make it happen, sort of? Yeah, right, because I thought the labels were really against this thing. I, I, I know personally from people inside of Spotify have told me, even though the whole organization has been moving slowly in this direction, the company, like people inside the company are really interested in building this legal backbone for music where essentially any app would al- allow you to log in through Spotify and access the music subscription that you paid for already. And that's a huge win for Spotify because it strengthens the value proposition of their subscription. If you can use it in a ton of places not just Spotify, it obviously becomes more valuable to you and you're more likely to pay for it. Yeah. Um, but I, I can understand that you know, some of the labels, they, they are worried about sort of the music getting out of their control. How did you, how did you, how the hell did you convince Spotify to do this? So um, I, it's one word for it and that's nagging. Um, <laughs> so actually the first meeting with Spotify was held already back in 2008 and we have, we have a long history actually. We've been doing what we do for nine years but we used to do a hardware device, um, and that was launched exactly like when iPhone picked up speed. So, um, well, things went down, so we've, we're back now, uh, and we produce an app, which is a better fit into this, this new world. But we actually met with Spotify when we, even, we haven't, hadn't even launched uh, our device, uh, and they had no licenses, so clearly that was premature. Uh, so discussions or nagging started 2008. Um, and then when we reacquired all of the rights from the bankruptcy, from the old pacemaker project, uh, I met with them in 2011, and then I kept on meeting with them, and it helps being in the same city. So eventually, I think they couldn't even avoid it, almost. Uh, but then there's a little interesting anecdote here, and that's uh, we were about to launch our app uh, on iTunes only uh, in March uh, last year. So we went to uh, South by Southwest, tickets booked, everything, uh, unfortunately, the software quality wasn't there, uh, but uh, tickets weren't uh, cancelable. So we went to Austin. Uh, we even bought like a, a really big blue speaker. Or bought it. We built it uh, on site in Austin. It was two meters high and like one meter wide and wireless and random batteries. So we pulled that big speaker around in Austin, playing in um, street corners. Uh, and police said we needed a license uh, for that. So. Uh, a Spotify license? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, so, uh, and then on the way back from, from Austin, uh, early morning flight, we bumped into Mr. Daniel Ek uh, at the airport in Austin. The CEO of Spotify? Yes. So that was a serendipity thing. So I just grabbed the iPad and I went to him and I demoed and he was like, can I have this? Uh, and then things really picked up speed. And so. you're like, absolutely, you can acquire us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that wasn't what he meant, though. <laughs> no, so we, they, they, they got in touch with us and said, like, we want to do this, uh, and uh, we will make sure the licenses with the labels are there. Uh, so you just make the best sort of DJ app there is um, and the greatest Spotify connection you can do. And that was, so, so Spotify dealt with the labels, and, and we did the software, which is great. And I, and I think we are the first um, app uh, that that you know proves Spotify going in a platform direction, so it's their end game. But they need to get the, li- uh, the licenses with the labels for everyone, and and I think I, I really hope that will happen because that will open up for a ho- whole new world 
for consumers and for developers. And that would be amazing. Yeah, I think this platform approach could actually completely uh, redefine the landscape for music entrepreneurship right now because so much of the issue has just been that everyone has to deal with the labels and has to deal with the licenses. Yeah. And it's such a pain. It takes so much capital, takes so many lawyers and so much time that nobody who wants to just build something great can really do this. And you guys are, yeah, you guys are proving out the fact that if you give people a way to access the legal subscription that they've already paid for in other places, they're going to love that subscription even more. Uh, if you guys want to read more about this, I wrote about 2,000 words about it. Uh, and there's an article. Uh, it's on the SF Music hashtag, uh, but it's it's about that uh, Spotify and Echo Nest together are building a music backbone for all other apps. Um, uh, so looking looking forward from that, I want to hear um, what are you guys going to do? Like what? Where do you see people uh, in music making money right now using your tools? Are you seeing uh, artists making more of their money touring using your your tools or producing music? And should an artist basically? I, I want to know. Is it better for an artist to sit at home and work in the studio until they make a hit song, or should they be out there on the road? I would say that depends very much on the artist. <laughs> um, That's a cheap really, answer. I want no, a better No, no, one. no. I, I can elaborate on it, but it's true. Um, the thing is, um, if you are just relying on making productions and you don't want to play out, you will have a hard time, especially if you're doing rather underground music because it's very difficult to make a living these days from that. That used to be the case in the past, but it is not the case anymore. So, so you can't be a niche creator and just sell your music? To and not playing it live? I don't really think so. So uh, you either have to, I think, take a choice. Do I want to live off that and accept the fact that I also need to perform, or do I just want to do it as a hobby and just, you know, be absorbed in my little studio and do uh, otherwise something else? And I think uh, the great thing today is you can actually make yourself a name either by being a live performer or being a producer, and it really depends on where you think your strength is um, in the first place. And um, I think, by general, from our perspective, we see... Obviously, we, we, we come from the pro world, so we have quite a strong footprint of people that are making money uh, with their music, using our tools and doing production. But I can tell you there is a huge amount of people out there, and it's growing, <laughs> that are just doing music that don't give a shit if they are making money with it or not. They are just excited about really messing around with audio and becoming creative. And this is actually the largest part of our customer base and this is actually also the growing part and I think this is also an exciting part where you see more and more people coming in there for the love of basically being creative and um, in regards to the whole performance or who am I, am I a producer, am I a DJ, honestly from a company perspective I don't give a shit because I'm actually interested to give people possibilities that they can start anywhere and that they can navigate and become something else maybe uh, eventually. So I may have started to be a producer or be a DJ, but then I suddenly start to uh, create music on the fly and then I start with production. Or I maybe have started to just be a music consumer and suddenly I play around with their app or with our app or I make a beat on iMachine and I have created my own first beat and then I start to get interested in that whole world. How can I take it for, uh, further than that? So for me, really the definition of who am I and what is my role in this world and how much can I make music, uh, money with it is, is a secondary um, model. Nonetheless, I would say people are still making music, uh, making music and making money, but uh, a lot of the underground music that I'm exposed to is about performing live and people are willing to pay money for that. And this is how you also see concerts, etc. I mean, it's a huge business now. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a really important insight for anyone selling tools or software to music creators is that the democratization of these tools has caused a democratization of passion. And now the majority of the customers of Native Instruments, one of the biggest music companies in the world, are non-professionals. So you have to really be thinking, how does the non-professional benefit from this tool? How do I make it powerful enough for someone who wants to you know, rock a 10,000-person concert but is, you know, works just as well for someone who wants to just make music for their own, their own love of it? Uh, I also think that this um, streaming music thing is, is very new. So, um, and uh, I think things will happen, and I think more money will eventually trickle down to artists and producers. Um, because if, if you look at it, like um, Sweden is the country that paid the most per person in the world for music. Uh, and so the streaming music thing is very profitable for the music industry. So I, I think, you know, when that pick up um, and um, these rumors about uh, Beats being acquired by um, Apple, you know, I, I think if, if that's true, that's going to really start streaming music happen. Um, so I think it's a great future for everyone, for producers uh, and developers and consumers. Uh, I think it's it's amazing. I mean, I, I would love us to just be able to you know leap forward into the streaming uh, business, but I've actually heard from in sources inside of Apple say that the reason you know you would think why wouldn't Apple just make their own app iTunes music streaming service? Well, the issue is that if they did that, it would cannibalize uh, download sales, and that that transition period could be a few years of just the darkest days for the record business. Like if you thought it was bad in the Napster days, like they've hardly gotten a handle. On, on downloads and if, it, if Apple just like pulled the rug out from under them and moved immediately to streaming it could be a really big issue and so I've heard that some of the strategy around the purchase of Beats is to, cre is to handle that transition externally and let Beats push things forward towards the streaming business but not terrify the record labels by just ripping out what iTunes always was. Um, so, going looking at uh, your guys' places, you know, we're in we're at SF Music Tech right now, and San Francisco is largely thought of as, a, as you know the, the the core technology hub of the world. But Stockholm and Berlin have really become am amazing cities to start a music company. Could you tell me a little bit about what was it like when you were starting Native Instruments or working at Native Instruments in the early days in Berlin compared to what it's like now? Well, in the 90s, obviously, we had this amazing techno wave and the wall came down. So it was really like an anarchy place. You cannot even imagine a place like this today anymore. And if you walk it today, love, it's very different. Parade. No, even be, I mean, really, yeah, the love yeah. parade, etc. So there was a lot of excitement around the city, but it wasn't uh, such an international place that it is today. It was very uh, German, I would say, but it was a very free place. So. <laughs> Uh, for a company like ours, basically people growing out of the electronic music uh, uh, industry to start a business like ours, it was the place to do this. There wasn't, wouldn't have been really a different place. And this is why a company like Native Instruments and Ableton pretty much at the same time kind of started there. We kind of danced in the same clubs. You know, there is a cultural connector there. And I would say that a lot of the hype that you see today around Berlin is actually being built upon this crazy music heritage and what has uh, happened around this, this crazy club scene 
that happened then in the 2000s. And then obviously people like uh, SoundCloud coming also into the city, being attracted by that vibe, then starting their own thing. So it kind of all came together and then the art world came and then suddenly Berlin is also a tech space. But I would say it's, uh, um, and it has become a very international place by now. It's really a completely different story. Uh, we benefit as a company greatly from this. We can bring so many different people and nationalities into the company to work from there. This wasn't uh, cap uh, possible um, in the early days. So we have benefited, benefited in a great way from this. And I think the city as a whole has also benefited because it's a very dynamic place. And it's just happening and happening and happening and going. Yeah, we just had TechCrunch's Disrupt Conference right. in Berlin the first time just we'd ever done it in Europe. to our office. Right, and it's amazing. There's, there's more funding. There's incredible engineering talent available there. Uh, and it's just the best dance scene in the world. I mean, if you haven't gone to Bergheim, it's basically dance mecca. I've, I've seriously put it on your bucket list. Uh, but what, so what about Stockholm? Yeah, so, um, I mean, I, I really... Tell, think... tell me why it's better than Berlin. <laughs> no, I, Berlin is awesome. It's, it's like, um, uh, in Europe, I think it's difficult to compete with something like Berlin. It's, you know, it's such a... It's, it's an awesome place. Uh, in Stockholm, we have Spotify, uh, and that, that clearly propels a lot of things. Uh, we also have propeller heads, if, you're, if you know them. And they've been around for, like, at the same, time. the same time. Yeah, so that, that's an amazing company, too. And then we have another company called Teenage Engineering, uh, and I know I that those guys they're amazing yeah they're really fun um, so we and we have uh, Clavia uh, producing synthesizers so th there's like th there's, there has been a music tech scene in Stockholm before Spotify uh, and now Spotify really propels it even more so there's lots of small companies being started uh, around Spotify and maybe from former Spotify employees so there's a lot of things happening uh, and um the funding is an important uh, part of everything, uh, and uh, I met with a couple of VCs here in San Francisco, and it's amazing uh, the the kind of smartness that capital here has. Uh, it's just so much more mature than what, what I've met in in Stockholm and also in in London. It's like amazing. So, but but we have some capital now, and it's it's getting more and more mature as well. So, um, so we're trying to compete, but as the little brother, I <laughs> we think. get a little like fist action. Yeah, okay. Yeah. The, all right. Um, it, so looking back to the consumption of music, so now we have you know we have all this new music being created. But I think one of the really interesting things that's happened over the past few years is that it used to be when you create a song, you you know you'd record it and you you know you'd master it and then you'd release it and you'd promote it. But that was basically the end of it it was this like nuclear unit of uh of, of sound music industry model that basically doesn't work anymore right because right, now like we're not pressing music to a cd and it can't yeah. be changed now exactly. you can go in and change your music if you want to after you've published it and so what how are you seeing the you know the remix industry and the, you know the ability to distribute stems what is that doing to the the industry as a whole and how what are the opportunities that it's creating for music entrepreneurs I mean, for me, okay, it's working. Um, for me, it's really one of the most exciting areas because it's, again, a way how you can bring people together, basically the creators and the people who are maybe, uh, who used to be just the listeners of that. Obviously, you have maybe remixers and DJs in between, but um, I think the idea of a music piece uh, being just a state 
a momentary state of something that can transform and morph and actually became something different um, or maybe something that is even tr traceable throughout uh, the digital world as something really exciting because it can uh, create connections in ways that you may would have not imagined before and I think actually bring your audience even closer to the people who are creating. I mean, even when you look at something like SoundCloud and how it started, it was about, hey, I may have started something and then I basically upload it and people can comment on it and give me some feedback on it and then I think what you can now do with this and how you can take it further goes, goes way beyond this and I can just tell you from a company perspective as we are dealing with very different kind of uh, customers there is a huge interest <laughs> of people out there to not just be listening to music but are actually interested in getting deeper involved in that and so we want to build on that. Yeah, I think one of the coolest ways that I've seen artists monetizing is instead of trying to get $1 out of everyone from like a single download, they're really moving towards the idea of like hyper monetizing the short tail of their biggest fans, you know, going for the same model that the game industry works with, which is chasing those whales. And what they're doing is they're offering these really unique experiences. And you can you can add that in uh, with what you were talking about. You know, I've heard of artists that they, they sort of have almost a beta program and they'll release, you know, beta versions of, of their music to their big biggest fans in exchange for like a you know for a price yeah. you know you pay $50 and then you're in this beta club and then you get to provide feedback or you know you pay $100 and you get to go to an event where with a hundred other of the biggest fans of an artist and listen to the new album before it's released and give feedback that gets integrated into the album and not only do you make a lot more money than you'd make trying to make a dollar off of each of these people yeah. but you're also tying them deeply into the, the music creation experience so that they feel a, a, a part of ownership over it so they actually want to share it and promote it for you they become your evangelist by bringing them in inside and i mean there you can also do things like you know people find each other on the internet to basically start collaborations that kind of uh, become then again something as an entity in itself which you wouldn't really be uh, have happened before you would need to find some bandmates or whatever in your local neighborhood through some whatever ways nowadays by putting stuff out there and basically exposing the material really things can develop on its own but also new groups can create themselves and by this maybe eventually become a new group on its own that starts to perform form somewhere uh, through a process that has really started in a very different way than being somewhere in your studio jamming together uh, 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 to a four track. Totally. I think, I think it's beautiful seeing technology allow music creation to become a conversation. So speaking of conversation, I want to open it up to a few questions from the crowd if anybody has uh, things they'd like to ask Mate or, uh, or Jonas. Got one over here. Tentative, maybe. Please don't pitch your band right now. <laughs> Yeah, so I think this is a question for uh, Jonas. Um, uh, so at some point I saw that Spotify was uh, kind of created this internal platform, right, where you were building apps within their client. And um, I, don't, I didn't see that pick up that much, uh, personally, as a, as a user. Maybe, maybe I don't have the full picture. But it seems that with your app now, they're, uh, thanks to your nagging, now they're, like, you know, they're opening up to more external collaborations. So do you see them going more towards that because they see that maybe this internal platform is not working as well as they thought it would be? Or do you think they're still thinking about it and it's not very clear um, where they're going to go? So the, um, the, the API that we use, it's, it's called LibSpotify. Now we have a special version of it. Um, <laughs> So, but uh, but but that that's actually you know something that hopefully will be available to more because uh, I 
I doubt that we will be the one and only DJ app using Spotify. Um, and uh, uh, I, I think, I mean, like, like Josh, sa- Josh said before, like uh, they, they have said it's OS for music. So they, uh, and, and actually th- that's like, they started uh, in, in that um, sort of, uh, with that business idea to become the, the provider of music. They didn't really want to be a, a consumer thing. So they've always wanted to be the platform. Uh, and then they, they had to do this because the labels told them to. So I think clearly, you know, they're driving in, the, in that direction. And, and that's very, you know, outspoken also. Yeah, as far as I understand it, the issue was basically that because the apps were trapped, not only they were trapped in Spotify on the desktop, and there was no real way for people to monetize within that app, that there wasn't a lot of deep interest in building especially great experiences other than sort of promoting a specific catalog of like a record label. Uh, And so developers were really uh, pushing to be able to create their own standalone native applications on Android and iOS and be able to integrate Spotify SDKs so that they could bring that experience into their app opposed to like cramming their experience into Spotify. It's, it's really difficult to create a great user experience within the Spotify client. Like it's it's no, almost it doesn't make sense. no, and yeah. it doesn't make sense. It's much more better to to allow it to be free uh, and you know be the backbone of of apps instead. Sure. So I, I, I think what, we are the first app that actually monetize, uh, and that's a big thing. So I, I think that's something you need to create a sustainable ecosystem. Uh, I mean, uh, if you look at Apple, they have a great ecosystem, and, and they, you know, they make sure developers get paid. That's one of their main things. Like, they, they love you as a developer. Like, they want to give you as much money as possible. I mean, as, as Jonas said earlier, his app is free, but it's not totally free. It's freemium. You can buy things within the app if you want additional effects and stuff. And that's really, it's really important because as we were talking about, there's so many free tools available now that if you put a price tag up front before people can really get their hands dirty with it, it's going to scare them away. It's much better to push that monetization back a little bit until you've gotten people to fall in love with your product. Uh, next question. Sure. Uh, also a question for you, Jonas. Um, kind of a, a randomly specific question. So um, uh, for our app, we're like also messing around with like the Spotify API, um, which uh, I'd love to talk to you about what, like, what you guys are using because the current one kind of sucks. Um, but anyway, so uh, one thing I noticed is that, you know, to my knowledge, you can't be streaming two songs at the same time from Spotify. So I was wondering, you know, what, what are the, you know, like from Spotify, you know, I, I assume it has to do with the licensing agreements where like they want one person to be playing one song. So like for your app, you're, you know, you're streaming two songs at the same time. Uh, does that, so for the person the Spotify account, do they have to have, a, like, do they have to pay more so they can have multiple streams coming at the same time? Like how exactly does the licensing work out on that for your app? So it's uh, it's uh, a special version of Lib Spotify. Uh, we still suffer from the things that you suffer from, I think, but you just have to work around it. Um, they're releasing a better API uh, very soon, uh, which is going to be awesome. Um, and then you get metadata from web APIs and so forth. Uh, but basically, no, you, you can play two tracks at the same time from one account. Um, and uh, I guess that was one of the things that Spotify needed to discuss with the labels. What so you can't do yet is record it again, right? It's it. not possible to record. That's like um, but not yet. a no-go. Yeah, and, and actually I think uh, it's, it's, uh, if, if you look at um, the licenses you get with your iTunes downloads too, mm-hmm. you're not allowed to save the mix because you're altering the art. So, but in, in the Spotify world, it's like, you know, they care much more about that. So it, they told us like, no saving. So no saving. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Thanks, Craig. <laughs> uh, one over here. What's that? Craig from Apple. Inter-app audio. 
as a solution. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Good idea. <laughs> this could probably be for uh, any or all of you. I'm curious how much the, uh, say, the mainstream music artist community is I embracing or, or cringing at the idea of their music being, you know, mashed up and little snippets of it being used and mixed with other stuff, and it's not being heard in the way they created it, but rather reinterpreted and represented. So I, I know that that's uh, you know a great thing in some people's minds and probably a, a poor thing in other people's minds. So I'm just kind of wondering if you look at the mainstream music market, Billboard Top 100 or whatever it is, what is the what is this uh, you know the psychology or the trend there? I, I know that Bob Dylan he doesn't even want his you know order of the albums being altered. Like people are not allowed to create playlists with my tracks. So. And there are still these kind of people, but I can tell you, being um, exposed to that many different, let's say, uh, user types and also a lot of, let's say, professionals, uh, very successful musicians, um, there is a great interest in uh, basically making connections, uh, different connections and also different, let's say, variations of music. Um, then uh, you may expect uh, the, the major issues for the most part are the majors <laughs> um, and basically this whole rights stuff, how to deal with the rights so it's really much more about the labels than the artists themselves obviously not everyone is really happy about the idea but I can tell you it's a, I would say there is a much larger amount of people who are interested in that uh, um, than uh, people who are really afraid of it so I, I, I think once we get overcome this hurdle of this whole rights thing it will become a really uh, it's, it's going to be an amazing playground and I can just tell you the big companies who are dealing with let's say being the sound platforms and content platforms they are very aware of these issues so for them discovery as much as basically let's say messing around with music in the first place or getting this whole right stuff sorted is something that uh, uh, people uh, will be working on and um, the music industry itself is also finally understanding and it's just going to take some time but really I've seen that the music industry is finally moving towards the modern world and I think that's a great thing because it will allow us all to become more creative with it. So, so I, I, I completely agree with you, and I think um, the music industry now see that it's, it has a value if, if users engage with their content. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, here's DGC that create Crossfader, and you know that's also an app which you interact a lot with the music, and you you change it, and then you, you post things so other can listen to the mashup. So I, I think that that's clearly the future. Like you know, you have to allow people to mess around with your content because that gives you value. The enabler for that is more about the artist getting paid. So their, their music gets uh, chopped up and, and repurposed and sounds different. But if they're getting paid for that, is that more important to them? Or are they more uh, worried about the artistic integrity of what they created? I'm wondering what, which of those might be the bigger enabler. Um, I imagine it's a mixture of both. I think maintaining artistic integrity, I guess, is very important for a lot of people. But at the end of the day, what does that mean? I think if you are engaging with your fans in a deeper connection um, and find ways to do that, that has maybe a larger meaning to you than that something is just exactly the way how you've meant to have it in the first place because you may want to change it by yourself tomorrow <laughs> again because you're not happy with it or you've changed your mind. So um, obviously monetization is also a factor. So I think both 
dimensions are uh, um, important. But I think, you know, because we are digital, because it's all technology, even uh, um, this aspect can become uh, something that can be managed because um, you are the creator in the first place and then what is, what is happening to this, uh, you know, you may still kind of... Um, create the connection to where something is coming from and therefore you can also be monetized for that if the system is smart enough. Yeah, hopefully their, their art can be tracked even as it gets processed through all this machinery and repurposing. They still can I mean, I, I guess you will always back to them. You will always yeah. see uh, like um, the, the things that goes under the radar and that has always been the case like the, the white label thing with the vinyls uh, they were huge and the most succe successful white label uh, records they turned into real remixes and made a lot of money for just look at hip hop music I mean how much people have benefited from being ripped <laughs> and kind of repurposed uh, and kind of getting uh, shares again based on that just because somebody else has had, had a new idea of this so it has really brought music much more forward and I see it in the same way with let's say the modern tools so it's it, it's it uh, i think it's definitely like it, it's a thing that that will happen so uh, it, it's better to try to be in it than than try to go against it i think because i i generally i genuinely think that with greater access to music more people will want to mess around with it because like um it, it drives creativity to have access to that much so um it's it's just set up a structure so you can deal with it in, the, in a good way and monetize it. So I wanted to ask you guys uh, a last question, which was, where do you see uh, big opportunity? Like, where, if, if there was a music company, if you could start a new music company, if there was some music company that you could just dream into existence uh, and that may, might be an opportunity for somebody in the, in the audience to go start, what would it be? I, I totally, I think this uh, social thing, like unlock the social power in music uh, and use that at, as a discovery tool. That, that's what I think. What yeah, and I would bring the... I would bring the people closer together, whatever that means. I would utilize technology to bring people closer together and kind of get rid of the boundaries between, let's say, who you are as a personality, uh, where do you start, and kind of create a technical platform where people kind of interact in a deeper way uh, with each other than they, they can do today because... Nobody has really mastered this yet. Definitely. So through the democratization of music, we're seeing this explosion of creation, and we really are going to need more curation tools that combine human and algorithmic curation to be able to have people upload whatever they want, like they can to SoundCloud, get recommendations the way they do with Pandora, but also get you know expert human recommendations like from a blog uh, and be able to consume it almost like something on Facebook. Uh, in regards to piracy, you guys talked about that. If you build something that people love, piracy becomes a promotional tool. Um, and that when you're building these products, you got to remember that there's a ton of non-professionals. You know, the passion has been democratized as well. And so consider how you can build something that isn't just for someone on the stage, but also for in their bedroom. Um, Berlin and Stockholm are both coming up, especially Berlin as enormous uh, power centers in terms of tech, uh, technology and music startups. So uh, consider looking overseas if you guys want to build something great. There's great engineering teams to be had and sometimes for a little bit cheaper than you can pay over here. Um, and, and finally realize that, you know, music creation is becoming a conversation and so there's a huge opportunity to go and build something that's not just about the artist over here and the fan over here, but how can you bring them closer together and create a unique experience that's not just some, some file that can be copied, but something that people will remember forever. So thank you guys for coming today and talking with us. Thank you guys all for being here.
Yep. Uh, I'll be here. We'll all be here afterwards if you guys want to talk to us about more questions.